So let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10, first of all. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And then on page 927, chapter 14 of Saving Faith from the Westminster Confession of Faith. Number one, the grace of faith whereby the elect are enabled to believe to the saving of their souls is the work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts and is ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the Word, by which also, and by the administration of the sacraments, and prayer. Notice those three things, preaching, sacrament, prayer. Preaching, sacrament, prayer, boys and girls. It is increased and strengthened. Number two, by this, a Christian believeth to be true whatsoever is revealed in the word. For the authority of God himself, speaking therein, and acteth differently upon that which each particular passage thereof containeth, yielding obedience to the commands, trembling at the threatenings, and embracing the promises of God for this life and that which is to come. But the principal acts of saving faith are accepting, receiving, and resting upon Christ alone for justification, sanctification, and eternal life by virtue of the covenant of grace. Number three, this faith is different in degrees. Weak or strong may be often and many ways assailed and weakened, but gets the victory, growing up in many to the attainment of a full assurance through Christ, who is both the author and finisher of our faith. And there we see again that subject of full assurance that we spoke of briefly in our text from Hebrews this morning. I want to talk a little bit about saving faith, and we want to, uh, first of all, talk how saving faith comes first by grace alone. It is not something of ourselves and we then want to talk about the instrumentality of faith, that faith alone is what justifies. Then after that, uh, we want uh, also to speak that faith is never alone. So those are going to be our main points here tonight. Let's uh, begin by looking at verse 8 of our text again. Here you'll notice that saving faith is a work of God's grace. The Apostle Paul, in verse 8, says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. That is, through the instrumentality of faith. And he says, And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So that what you see here is that even your faith that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ was given to you, boys and girls, by God. 
God gave you the ability to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and it was not something that was inherent within yourself. The Bible says, in fact, that uh, in, if you look in the verses above the verses that we read tonight in the beginning of Ephesians 2, that man is in no way inclined to faith. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in verses 1 through 3 of this chapter that man is dead. In Romans chapter 3, Paul catalogs in verses 10 through 18 how desperately wicked man is, that man is inclined to evil, that even our throat, our mouth, our tongue uh, are full of wickedness that comes up from the heart. Our throat is an open grave. Our tongue is like the tongue of a viper, he says. We are told in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, quote this, Moses says this, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth. This is before the flood, boys and girls. And that every intent of the thoughts of his heart, listen to this, was only evil continually. There was no interest in faith in God, in the nature and the heart of humanity. Now that is true after the flood as well as before the flood. That the post-Diluvian age, that is the age after, Diluvian is just a fancy word, boys and girls, for flood. So after the flood, man's nature is still the same. We see in Genesis 19, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah um, because of their great wickedness. In the epistle to Jude, by Jude in verse 7, Jude comments on Genesis 19 when he says, Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way indulged in gross immorality, went after strange flesh, are exhibited, now listen to this, as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. So that Sodom and Gomorrah is just an example of what awaits the rest of humanity who does not repent and believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Jesus himself speaks of hell. He says, everyone who says, quote, unquote, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says, don't fear those who kill the body. Fear the one who can kill the body and cast you into hell. All of this is to say that we are believers in Jesus Christ by unmerited favor of God. We deserve judgment, we deserve wrath, we deserve hell. Our nature is inherently evil and wicked, but God in his great love brings us grace and through that grace gives you the ability to believe in his son, Jesus Christ. Now think with me here about Saul of Tarsus. Did Saul look like, boys and girls, a good candidate to become a Christian? Would you have looked at that young man and said, you know, there's a guy who looks like he wants to be a follower of Jesus. Well, no, you wouldn't have, would you? Because what is Saul doing? He's going around and he's arresting Christians. If you had lived in Saul's day before his conversion, he would have tried to arrest your mother and father and put them in jail. And he was on his way to do the same up in Damascus when God met with him. Um, what did Saul do to deserve forgiveness? Absolutely, zippo, nothing. He was actually persecuting the church, yet God gave him the grace and the ability to believe. So we see in verse 8, what does Paul say? For by grace you have been saved through faith, 
and that not of you, not of yourself. It is the gift of God. You contribute nothing to salvation except, as Jonathan Edwards says, the sin by which it made that salvation necessary. Um, it is a gift. Now, boys and girls, do you think you earn your Christmas gifts? I hope you say no. All right? I hope you say no. I know our culture says, oh, yes. You know, Santa gives gifts to the good boys and girls, and bad ones get cold. No, your gifts are gifts. They are unearned. They are a product of parental love. Okay? And they are not the result of works over the past year. That is true of our salvation. Paul says that it is while we are sinners, while we are ungodly, we were given the ability to believe. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, Paul says, "...who saved us," speaking of Christ, "...and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity." In Romans 11, verse 6, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Grace and works are antithetical. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. If there is any contribution to, to your receiving the gift of faith on your works, then it is no longer grace. You would have something to boast in. But we have nothing to boast in. Look at Paul, verse 9. Paul says, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Romans 3, boasting is excluded. Paul said he used to boast in his former life. Before he knew Jesus Christ, he boasted. I'm an Israelite of an Israelite. I'm, a ben, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised the eighth day. Um, as to the law, I was a Pharisee. I was the man. I was exceeding all my contemporaries in Judaism. And yet what? He didn't have genuine saving faith in God because he had turned the law of God into a system of his own justification rather than seeing that the law was supposed to tutor him to the Messiah and that he was supposed to put his trust not in himself and his obedience to the works of the law, but in Christ. Now, what is your hope this evening? Do you say, well, I'm the strictest of Presbyterians. I'm reformed of reformed people. I hope not. I hope that your boast is in Jesus Christ, in Christ alone. Now, so for, that's the first thing I want us to see tonight, that saving faith is a work of God in our life. But I do want us now to talk about what is saving faith. That's what this chapter is about, right? For by grace you have been saved through faith. So faith has to be very important then, doesn't it? If, if we are saved by grace through faith, that means that faith is not a small thing. Faith, and you could put in parentheses, though Paul didn't, but you could have put in here, you have been saved through faith, parenthetically, alone. That is, it's the only instrument whereby the sinner receives and rests on the Savior and the benefits of Christ being forgiveness of sins and the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. 
So in Genesis chapter 15, just to show you that the Old Testament, the church in the Old Testament was saved the same way you and I are saved. They had less knowledge. They had less to go on. The Messiah was murkier. They saw him in shadows and types. But he was there from the beginning. The seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. Jesus has been there all along in the Old Testament so that in John chapter 5, Jesus said, you search the scriptures, meaning you, the Pharisees, you search the scriptures, you think you have eternal life in them. They speak about me. The whole Bible is about Jesus Christ. So the, the, the people of the old church in the Old Testament were under a different administration of the covenant of grace, but they were still believing in Jesus. Genesis 15, 6 says, And he, Abraham, believed in the Lord, and God counted it to him for righteousness. You can look at Romans 4, and it explains this chapter of Genesis 15 if you want to. In Galatians 3, we're told that it was through or by faith that we receive the imputed righteousness of Christ. Um, faith is important in Romans 10.10. 10. With the heart, man believes unto righteousness, says Paul. That is, faith moves toward and lays hold of Jesus Christ. Uh, Joel Beakey notes that in his book, By Faith Alone. Listen to what Theodore Beza, now you say, who's Theodore Beza? Theodore Beza was the uh, teacher in Geneva who succeeded John Calvin. So he and John Calvin were contemporaries, but he was uh, younger than Calvin. So when Calvin went to be with the Lord, Beza kind of took over. Listen to what Theodore Beza says about faith and its instrumentality. He says, Abraham, Father Abraham in the Old Testament, Abraham was not justified and made the father of the faithful by any of his own works either preceding or following his faith. That is, God didn't give Abraham faith because he saw Abraham's good works. And the good works that accompanied Abraham's faith were not an instrument of justification. It was faith alone that was the instrument of justification, even though works came with that faith in the train of faith. It was faith alone in Christ. Theodore Beza goes on. He says, but merely by faith in Christ or the merit of Christ by faith imputed to him for righteousness. Therefore, all his, that is all of Abraham's children, become his children and are justified not by their works, either preceding or following faith, but by faith alone in Jesus Christ. So that Abraham is justified by faith alone. And if you're a son or a daughter of Abraham this evening, it is because you are justified the same way your father Abraham was justified. Even though you may be a Gentile, you may you know, be from Europe ethnically or Africa or Asia, but if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you become a true child, a true son, a true daughter of Abraham. And you have the same faith as Abraham had. The book of Habakkuk, chapter 2, says that the just shall live by faith. You see how important this is, boys and girls, to believe on Jesus Christ. Um, Romans 1.17, I was going to make this my text a few days ago, and I changed my mind. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, Romans 
Galatians 3.11, now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. And I could give you more, but we got to uh, keep moving on uh, there. Um, let me say this. What does it mean that we, that we are justified by faith or through faith? Uh, we find this phrase many times in the New Testament. The Greek word is dia. D-I-A would be a transliteration of it, meaning through or by the means of. It describes faith as the instrument of justification whereby we receive the righteousness of our Lord and our Savior. We, we, faith is the empty hand reaching out to Jesus Christ. There's nothing in my hand I bring simply to thy cross I cling. Now, let me make this point very clear here because this is very important. I hope I haven't lost you here, but I want you to do hear this, okay? And that is this. Faith is never the ground of your justification. Christ is the ground of your justification. Faith is you reaching out to Christ. Let me say that again, just so we're clear on this. Faith is never the ground of your justification. That is, faith is never the ground of merit for justification. That is, God uh, always makes the work of Jesus the ground the rock on which you stand. Faith is laying hold of Jesus Christ. Justification is always on account of Jesus Christ. Again, our, our uh, Westminster Confession here, section 2 says, Faith, thus receiving and resting on Christ and His righteousness, is alone instrument of justification. Yet, he says, it is not alone in the person justified. Now listen to what Joel Beakey said. Joel Beakey is the pastor at Heritage Netherlands Reformed Church up in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And he comments on this. He says, God did not ordain faith to be the instrument of justification because of some particular or peculiar virtue in faith, but because faith is self-emptying and has no merit in itself. Let me read it again. God did not ordain faith to be the instrument of justification because of some peculiar virtue in faith, but because faith is self-emptying and has no merit in itself. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be of grace. That is, faith says, I have nothing Faith is wretched man that I am. Faith is the woman with the bleeding problem saying, I've spent everything I have on doctors and I am still desperately ill. And this man is the only hope I have. If I can just touch the edge of his garment, that's faith. Faith is a blind man on the side of the road saying, Son of David, which is a messianic title. Son of David, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd saying, be quiet. Leave the guy alone. Shut up. Get out of here. Have mercy on me, son of David. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops and goes over to the sidewalk. 
and says, what do you want? I want to regain my sight. Faith is self-emptying. It is, it is saying, I am a desperate person, and Jesus, you are the only answer. You are the only hope I have. I have nothing. Martin Luther said that the doctrine of justification by faith alone is so important that it is, he said, it is the article upon which the church stands or falls. Now, what is faith? Well, the um, theologians break faith down into three elements. You're familiar with these, many of you? The three elements are knowledge, assent, and trust. Knowledge, assent, and trust. Knowledge, or to use the Latin notitia, assent, which would be a census, and then trust is fiducia. These three things compose faith. All three must be there if it is a saving faith. Remember that this chapter 14 is entitled of saving faith. Now, why'd they call it of saving faith? Because theologians recognize that there is a faith that is less than saving. That there is the faith, the Bible says, of demons. What kind of faith do the demons have? Demons have a faith of knowledge and assent, but they do not trust. They have a knowledge that Jesus is the Son of God. They even assent to him, have you come to destroy us? Son of God, have you come to destroy us? We know who you are. Don't cast us into the outer abyss. Put us in this herd of swine, they say. And we'll go there. We know who you are and we will assent to what you tell us. But they do not trust in the Lord. We are, we are saved by a faith uh, that has all three elements in there. Many of you know the, your shorter catechism, justification is an act of God's free grace wherein he pardoneth all our sins and accepteth us as righteous in his sight, only for the righteousness of God imputed to us and received by faith alone. Joel Beakey, again, in his book entitled Justification by Faith Alone, here um, demonstrates that the righteousness... Well, uh, excuse me. Let me move on. Let me move on to Calvin. No, 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 no. Here's Beakey. Sorry. <laughs> um, oh, I read that quote. Sorry. Calvin. We compare faith to a kind of vessel, says John Calvin. For unless we come empty with the mouth of our souls open to seek Christ's grace, we are not capable of receiving Christ. So Calvin says that faith, uh, I said earlier, was like the empty hand. Calvin says it's like the empty mouth that is looking for water, desperate uh, for Christ to fill us spiritually. Here again, Joel Beakey, he said, the vessel cannot be compared to the value of the treasure it contains. That is, faith, uh, it, it is not the faith that is so important. It is the Christ that faith lays hold to that is so important. That's why, boys and girls, even a, a person who has a little faith, um, they have Christ in a, in a way, much as somebody with great faith. It is, it's not the size of our faith that is chiefly so important, but it is the object of our faith, Jesus Christ. 
The Puritan, English Puritan Thomas Goodwin said, faith is the eyes and hands. See you, Billy. <laughs> faith is the eyes and hands and feet. Yea, and mouth and stomach and all. J.C. Ryle, the great 19th century Anglican, I think I quoted him last week to you, he said, saving faith is the hand, the eye, the mouth, and the foot of the soul. <laughs> he adds that last one there. Uh, again, Joel Beakey, yet faith lives by the living bread alone, not by the mouth that feeds on the bread, but the bread Beaky again, we are justified not because of what faith is, but because of what faith lays hold of and receives. You know, this is very important because our culture will say things like, I'm a man of faith, or I think faith is important. Uh, you hear that all the time uh, in the political realm. You know, the candidate wants to give a nod you know, to religion, and so he says, you know, I, I believe faith is very important. But um, the, the importance, that, that is a very generic way. That's not biblically a, a way to speak of faith here. Um, it's often they use faith in a way that is without any reference to Jesus Christ. Real faith always is rooted in Jesus Christ. And so beware of that. Now, I love, this is a famous quote from B.B. Warfield. B.B. Warfield was the... Um, professor of systematic theology in 19th century, early 20th century at Princeton, when Princeton was still a good school. And I can say that because I have family there. <laughs> but, but Warfield, this is a famous quote, but I, you've heard it before, but it's worth hearing again. He says, it is from this, its object, Jesus Christ, that faith derives its value. It is from its object, Jesus Christ, that faith derives its value. The saving power of faith resides thus not in itself, but in the almighty Savior on whom it rests. Now, this is the famous part of this quote. It is not faith that saves. Pastor, I thought you just spent the last 15 minutes saying that it was faith. It is not faith that saves, but faith in Jesus Christ. It is not strictly, strictly speaking even faith in Christ that saves, but Christ that saves through faith. I'll read that last part again. It is not strictly speaking even faith in Christ that saves, but Christ that saves through faith. Joel Beakey says that faith cannot be the ground, it has to be the instrument. Because if it was the ground, it would have to be a perfect faith. As only perfect righteousness is ever accepted by God. And no sinner can have perfect faith. All sinners have impaired faith. Your faith is impaired, my faith is impaired. It is because we have a perfect Savior that we are saved through faith in Him. Again, Beaky in his book on this subject says, too many Christians live in constant despondency. That is, they're always depressed. Because they cannot distinguish between the rock on which they stand and the faith by which they stand on that rock. Faith is not your rock. Christ 
is your rock. We do not get faith by having faith. We do not get faith by having faith in our faith or looking to faith. It is always looking to Jesus Christ. Looking to Christ is faith. Therefore, always go beyond faith, outside of it, to Christ. It must be a perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. It is Jesus' obedience. That's the ground of our justification. Faith is not the ground of our justification. Christ is my ground. Christ's obedience, Christ's life, Christ's death, Christ's resurrection, Christ's ascension. Now, albeit we hold on to Jesus imperfectly because our faith is imperfect, but that imperfect faith in a perfect Savior is justifying in the sight of God. Romans 9, chapter 16. So then it, salvation, is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God who showeth mercy. A.A. A. Hodge, also from Princeton, 19th century, says this, justifying faith terminates in or on Christ, in his blood and sacrifice, in his promises, in the promises of God, in its very essence. Therefore, it involves trust and denying its own value, affirms the sole merit of that in which it trusts, Jesus Christ. One more quote here on this. John Gerardo, the great Southern Presbyterian minister of the 19th century over in Charleston, South Carolina. Faith is emptiness filled with Christ's fullness. I love that. Faith is emptiness filled with Christ's fullness. Gerardo says, impotency lying down upon Christ's strength. Paul says in verse 9, so that no one may boast. Verse 10, Paul says in our text here, what? We are his workmanship. Now, having said all of that, let me say a couple more things before we close. This faith in Jesus Christ is never, ever, ever alone. You are saved by grace through faith alone in Christ, but that faith is never by itself. That is, while faith alone is the instrument of your justification, that faith will always bring in its train the fruit of saving faith. That is, while faith is a gift of God to men who are dead in their sin, and it is not in any way a result of their works, that faith from God, given by God to you, not only justifies but it produces the fruits of love, good works, and every Christian grace, says one commentator. We are his workmanship. Notice here what our text says in verse 10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God pre prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. We are created to produce fruit for Jesus Christ. Now, this is why in, in James chapter 2, you have James saying that faith is dead if there are no works. I think Martin Luther, I love Martin Luther, but I think he was overreacting when he called James' epistle an epistle of straw. He and Paul are not speaking against one another. 
Paul is teaching how one can be saved through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone to the glory of God alone. James is teaching how you know if your faith is authentic. It is that it is a faith that produces works. So the, these two apostles are speaking of two different perspectives on this issue here. That's why Paul appeals to Genesis chapter 15 that Abraham was justified by faith alone, and James appeals to Genesis chapter 22 by the sacrifice of his son Isaac. Paul is saying Genesis 15 teaches justification by faith alone. James is saying Genesis 22 teaches that your faith is never alone. Does that make sense? They're, they're, they're looking at the issue with two different emphases. They're not in contradiction. Acts chapter 15, they got Paul and James were in the same room during the circumcision controversy. There was no disagreement on the subject of justification by faith alone. James believed in such justification by faith alone as an instrument. But James's point is that it is never alone. It is always accompanied by works. And if there are no works, uh, then we have reason to question whether there really is true faith. <coughs> Excuse me. Today, there are a lot of churches, especially here in the South, that accept an easy believism. They fill their roles with people who have assented to the truth, but then later fail to produce fruit of saving faith. When the fruit is not forthcoming and nothing is done about it, there's no correction, no pastoral calls, no loving discipline. Their name just sits there on the roll, even while they neglect the gathering of the saints Sunday by Sunday by Sunday for years, even decades at times. Some of these churches have 5,000 people on their roll and only 2,000 on a given Sunday. Some of these churches even create a category for such people, calling them quote-unquote inactive members, as if you can have an inactive faith or inactive works. This is unfortunate because too many people in the South think they're headed to heaven on the basis that they prayed a prayer or they walked an aisle, or they signed a card, or they made a commitment, or they were baptized at some camp meeting in a moment of emotionalism, and they mistook knowledge or assent for faith. But assent to truth is not faith, except the faith of a demon, as I said earlier. Saving faith, justifying faith, is a faith that believes in the lordship of Jesus, not only in Jesus as a Savior, but Jesus as Savior and Lord. And it believes that he truly and really gets to tell you what to do with your life, how to live, how to behave, what tone of voice to use, what days of, week, of the week to work, how to observe the Lord's Day, how to be content, how to love your wife, how to raise your children, how to love others, how to worship it, and more. Jesus said himself in John 14, verse 21, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. Or to put it another way, that's the person who believes on me. Or to put it another way, that's the person who has saving faith. John chapter 14, verse 23, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. In John 15, verse 2, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. 
You may be visibly attached to the church, visibly attached to the body of Christ, visibly attached to Christ, but if you're not bearing fruit, it will profit you nothing on the last day. In fact, it will speak against you. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says, Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which, that is, the fruits of faith, without which no one will see the Lord here. Well, we need to bring it to a close. Do you have saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ tonight? Do you have a faith that is resting in the person and the work of Jesus Christ tonight? If God were to say to you, why should I let you into heaven if you should die tonight? What would your answer be? Would it be that you are trusting alone in Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who has come into the world and to save sinners? And Lord, I am a sinner. I am the chief of sinners and there is no hope in me. It is not because I do better than my neighbors. It is not because I go to church. It's not because I teach in the Sunday school class. It's not because I'm a Presbyterian minister. But it is because of Jesus Christ. It is because of his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. It is because of his active obedience. It is because of his passive obedience. It is because of his substitutionary work on that cross. It is because he has been raised for my justification. It is all of Christ by which we come in. There is nothing in me, but it is all to the glory of Christ and of his Father. Amen.